Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So my grandparents on my mother's side both died before I was born. And I had a great aunt and uncle that never had children that lived down the street from my grandmother. And they, in many regards, adopted me as their grandson. I think I've mentioned this before. I didn't even realize that they were not my grandparents until later in life. And my great aunt, unfortunately, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And my great uncle took care of her in his home as long as he possibly could. In fact, he probably kept her in the home too long. And then she transitioned to a nursing home. And it was a lesson for me in terms of marriage vows and true love to watch him serve my grand, my great aunt every single day in this nursing home. He would get up early in the morning and he would go there And he would make sure that she was fed breakfast, often feeding her himself. He would stay till lunch, making sure that she was fed, often feeding her himself. Then he would tidy up the room. He would go meet with all the nurses. And he would make sure that they knew how much he loved her and how much care that they should take regarding his wife. And he did this for many Many years. And I remember visiting and seeing his love pour forth for her. And I remembered thinking as a college student that she is out of her mind. Her mind is gone. She doesn't know that he's there. But yet faithfully every day, Christmas, Easter, Every single day, he went to that awful nursing home and he pampered her and he loved her dearly. And so I have been, as you, as you guys know, Vicki and I are going through the same journey with her father. And so I have watched her care for her dad. I've watched her drive and I can't tell you how many times back and forth to Pontotoc, and back and forth now to New Albany where he's in a facility, and just love on him. And to make sure that his room is taken care of and that he's being fed and that he has all the proper medicine. And it is hard and often inconvenient and often challenging, but she loves her father. And she is committed to him. And so when we come to 1 Timothy today, we meet the Apostle Paul and we meet his son in the faith, Timothy. And we see his instruction regarding being a pastor and loving the people of Ephesus so well. And Paul is challenging the church in Ephesus to be about love and to have sincere faith. And the takeaway for me from 1 Timothy is that what drives this, what enables this, what makes this possible, 
is the love that the Father has for us. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your sacrificial love that you have for us, that you care for us every day, and that your mercies are new every morning, and that you don't quit on us, that you are faithful. Father, help us in the very depths of our soul to understand that as we look at Timothy this morning. God, forgive the one who speaks, for my sins are great. Set me aside as you and you alone speak this morning. Amen. So one of the things that I like to do when we come to a new book, when we come to a new section of Scripture, when we start a new study, is to do the who, what, when, where, and why. I won't do this every week, but I think it helps you understand 1 Timothy. It grounds you in the text, and it helps you to come to a fuller understanding of what it is that the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate to them, to Timothy, and to us all these many years later. So who? Well, this is the Apostle Paul guided by the Holy Spirit. This is his instruction to his spiritual son, Timothy. Timothy is half Greek, half Israelite. And we know that he is a young man and that he was nurtured in faith by his mother and his grandfather. What is 1 Timothy. It is a pastoral letter. It is a word from Paul to his protege. Paul is the mentor. It is his instruction regarding how to be a pastor in a difficult situation. It is also a letter from a church planter to a church plant. We know that because at the end of the text, Paul uses a Greek word that is plural, meaning that this is not only for Timothy, it is also for the whole church. So from a church planter to a particular church plant. It's also an apostolic charge to the New Testament church. It has a more general nature, a more general feel. You need to pay attention to this. You need to read this. You need to understand this, even if you are not a part of the church in Ephesus. That would also include us all these many generations later. When? Who? What? When? Well, this was written after Paul's first imprisonment. So, more than likely in the early 60s A.D. Where? This is written to the church in Ephesus. This is a church that Paul started after leaving Corinth on his... Now, you're going to see this in all of your Bibles. If you have a study Bible, or perhaps even not a study Bible, you are going to see time and time and time again Paul's missionary journeys. His first missionary journey, his second missionary journey, his third missionary journey. Now, I'm a little biased, but I think that that should be changed. I really think it should be Paul's church planning journey, his second church planning journey, and his third church planning journey. And so after leaving Corinth, he planted the church in Ephesus, which was a major port city in the ancient Middle East. And while in Ephesus, he writes 1 Corinthians. Now, 
in Acts 20, we see Paul on his way to Jerusalem. And there he meets with the Ephesian elders. And what does Paul do? Does he talk to him about set up and take down? Does he talk to him about children's ministry? No. Paul warns the elders at Ephesus about false teachers. One, dec- one decade later, what is he doing? He is sending Timothy to Ephesus. Why? False teachers. Who, what, when, where? And I've already said the why. These people who are teaching wrong doctrine. We don't know fully about what this heresy is. We can speculate. Scholars say that it is Jewish in origin and that they are using the law for extra-biblical purposes. They are expanding upon the law that we see in the Old Testament. Dr. William Barclay was one of my professors in seminary at RTS, and he says that this false heresy also involved legalism and perhaps even perfectionism, that you can grow in your faith to such a point that you are without sin, which we know is not true this side of the coming of the kingdom of God in all its fullness. Second Timothy, his second letter to Timothy, gives us a hint that the false teaching is leading to the idea that believers are already resurrected, that they have attained a higher spiritual state. And so Paul has sent Timothy, and he's writing him a letter And so for Paul in the church that he started, this is significant. This is problematic. They have wandered from the gospel of grace. We need to stamp this out. We need to put an end to this. This needs to stop. And so that's what we see happening in the first seven verses of 1 Timothy. But there are two things in particular that I want to mention to you this morning. The first is true Christian leadership and the true Christian life. True Christian leadership. Now, we are a church plant. We have not been meeting long for worship. We are, in terms of the life of a church, we are an infant that has not even rolled over. We're at the very beginning of this journey. However, in the next year, we are going to begin the process of nominating and training our future elders. I am a teaching elder in the church, but we also need ruling elders. That is men in this congregation who rise to a certain standard that will help lead and guide this church along with me for the future. This is something that we see in the Old Testament. Moses needed elders. It's something that we see in the New Testament, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. And so this is a very important thing for the future of this church. When we have those ruling elders, then we will become a particularized church. It's a fancy word for we're an official church in our denomination in the PCA. And so... The suggestion was made to me by none other than Mr. Reed Kelly that this would be a good text for us to spend time in as we are moving towards that 
process of having elders and particularization, and I agreed with his wisdom, and here we are. And so we're going to go through this verse by verse, sometimes word by word. That's what we do here at Trinity. And so in this passage, in this first seven verses, we see the Apostle Paul making a very clear case that he has been commissioned by Christ. You can look at that in 1 Corinthians 9.1. That he has had an encounter with the resurrected Savior and he is an apostle. And in particular, he is apostle to the Gentiles. That's also seen in Romans 11.13. That I have a very unique role in the history of the church Jesus has summoned me, He has made me an apostle, and I am to go forth to the Gentiles. Hence, one missionary journey, two missionary journeys, three church planting journeys. See, I even had to correct myself. And so Timothy has gone to this troubled church in Ephesus, and he is the teaching pastor. We notice later in 1 Timothy that Timothy has had hands laid upon him. That means a public blessing by God for public ministry. We will do this when we elect our own elders, when we have a particularization service, we will lay hands on them and we will publicly bless them for ministry. It will mean that they are ordained. And so, in this passage, Paul is telling Timothy about the significance and importance in Christian leadership of grace, mercy, peace, love, and wait for it, right doctrine. That these are the things that you need to be an effective pastor in this community. These are the things that your elders need to have in order to fight off wrong doctrine, in order to have a spiritually healthy church. You need grace and mercy and peace and love and right doctrine. So I've mentioned before that I do not like to cook and I do not know how to cook. Microwaving popcorn can be a challenge. I burn it more often than not. Not my skill set. So in my, in terms of the great wisdom that I had in college, I decided to take a cooking class as an elective. And let me tell you, if I was dating Vicky at the time and if I didn't love her before, I really did love her because she saved my bacon, notice the use of food there, in this cooking class. Because I didn't know what to do, I didn't know how to do it, and so she helped with every single one of my take-home assignments. I thought it was going to be an easy elective. It was not. It was not. And so there was one particular day when we were at my apartment, my roommates were there studying, and Vicky said, let's make those cookies that you're supposed to turn in tomorrow. Right, let's do it. Let's jump on it. And so I'm in the kitchen, and I'm getting things out of the pantry and out of the refrigerator, and she's working her magic, and the cookies are made. They had to be from scratch, not the kind that you cut from the tube. I even messed those up. And I remember the buzzer going off that they were ready. And my roommates took off running to the kitchen, And they grabbed handfuls of these sugar cookies and they put them in their mouth and then suddenly they violently and loudly spit the cookies across the kitchen and across the den of our apartment. Here's why. 
In my brilliance, I handed Vicky salt instead of sugar. And so they were salt cookies, not sugar cookies, and they were disgusting, and they were awful. I had all the ingredients correct, except for sugar. And that one ingredient destroyed, it ruined those cookies. And so in this passage, we see the danger of imbalance. That Paul is telling Timothy that wrong doctrine will ruin a church. And that the elders of the church, the pastors of the church, are called to protect the doctrine because it is that significant and it is that important. I agree. I will tell you, coming to an understanding of the Reformed tradition, coming to an understanding of Reformed doctrine, turned my life upside down. I am becoming increasingly blind. I'm doing the PA public announcing for John Hunter's 5th and 6th grade team. I can't see the kids on the field. I can't see their numbers. I have to wear my glasses. And the first game, I forgot them. And the second game, I wore them. What a difference it made. And for me, when I understood covenant theology, when I understood Reformed theology, it was like putting on glasses. And I began to see the Bible in a way that I had never seen it before. And so it's important for the pastors and the leaders of the church to protect doctrine. To, to guard the Reformed tradition. To say this is significant and important for the life of this church. We believe that the gospel of grace helps you to see the Father and all His glory. It helps you to see Jesus, our Redeemer, and to understand the role of the Holy Spirit. That these are things that are significant to the church. And we hold on to it tightly. We, we live in an age of imbalance. We live in an age where truth is questioned. And so as you think through the leaders that you will nominate to serve this church, you need to think about men who will become ruling elders, who will say this is important, doctrine matters, the truth of Scripture is significant. And it will be proclaimed at Trinity. But there's something else that we see in this passage. In verse 2, grace and mercy and peace and love is also mentioned. This should be evident in my life. I am not perfect. I prayed before I began to preach that the Lord would set me aside for my sins are great. True. I'm fallen. I'm broken. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I am not perfect. Do not think for a second that I am perfect. One of the children in the church asked their parents two weeks ago, does Mr. Hunter know that he's not God? 100%. If you ever need proof, ask Vicki. She'll tell you, I am not God. I am a fallen sinner who's trusting in Christ just like you. But as we think about who the future leaders of this church are going to be, you need to think about men who exhibit grace and mercy and peace and love. And, and that you see that in their wives. 
And that you see that in their families. When a man is called to the ministry of being an elder of the church, his wife is called as well. I cannot do ministry, I cannot do church planting without Vicki. She holds me accountable and she points to Christ. And that's what the leaders of our church, that's what their family and their marriages should look like. Grace, mercy, and peace, which comes to us from the Father and the Son and the Spirit, evident in our lives. We notice that he mentions the word love. I would say that that is the most important. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is right doctrine. No. The greatest of these is love. Because if you love the Father and you love the Son and you love the Holy Spirit and you have an understanding of how God has pursued you in love and redeemed you and saved you, then you will love His Word. And you will long to protect His Word. And so these are important elements about true Christian leadership that we're going to see unfolded as we continue on our journey in 1 Timothy. Secondly, is the true Christian life. And I'll be brief. Verse 5 says, The aim of our charge is love. That's a military word there. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. That when we love, we have a very thorough and a very deep understanding of who Jesus is. That we understand the unmerited forgiveness that we have in Christ. We realize and we know that He is the high priest who has changed me. And that even now in heaven as we long and wait for the coming of the kingdom. That he, that when the Father sees me, He doesn't see me in my imperfection. He sees my older brother in His goodness and in His perfection. That He is an atoning sacrifice for me continually and always and forever. He makes me right. And a good conscience. A good conscience means that we are guided by the Word of God. In our culture, you are often here, follow your conscience. That's probably the worst thing that you could ever tell someone if you believe in Jesus. I will never say to my children, well, just whatever you feel, that's what you need to do. Follow your own conscience. That's false. It is untrue. It is unhelpful. What I say to them time and time again is listen to me most of the time. Listen to the Word of God all the time. My dad used to tell me as a child, it is the most important thing that you will ever know. I used to think through that paradigm and say to myself, he does not understand what it means to know math or history or science, the subjects you learn in school, law, finance, etc. And the older I get, the more I realize how true his words were. The most important thing that you can know in this life is the word of God because the high king of heaven, the creator of the universe is speaking to us. 
And so our conscience should be guided by the Word of God. That is what it looks like in the true Christian life. And then finally, sincere faith. Genuine in nature, real. So I've been a pastor for... I've been ordained since 2003. But I did ministry before that. And all of it has been in the context of the South. And we are, we, our culture has a PhD in fake faith. We're really good at it here. Um, and so, as a pastor, over time, it is becoming clearer to see genuine faith in people. I say that with trepidation. It's, it's not like there's a sign on your forehead that I can see. That I see people who are changed by love and redemption. People who love the Word of God and love the church family. That they understand that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. They run to this place. Um, and this is what Paul is saying. That we must have sincere, genuine, real faith grounded in the Word, a true relationship with Jesus, that we are led by the Holy Spirit, that we are praying for the Spirit to come into our lives, and that we submit to the Father. The aim of our charge, as Paul has said, is love. Let us come before our God in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for 1 Timothy. Thank you for this instruction. May it realign us with you and your will. May it help us to fall deeper in love with you. May it produce in us by your spirit a genuine, lasting faith that the world sees and knows. And God, thank you again for this family that brought their little covenant child before their church family for the sign and seal of the covenant. You are good to your people and we thank you. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.